This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anderson Heat and Air. Doing all your heat and air needs, taking care of you in the wintertime with the heat and the summertime with the cool. Whenever you're listening to this, whether it be in December, January, or in September, anytime you have a need to refrigerate the temperature in your house or... Refrigerate? Yeah. Cool off. Okay, let's say it like this. If your house is frigid... <laughs> we'll say it like this. If your house is frigid and you need it to be warmed, you need to call Matt Anderson at 870-664-1967, and he will come and he'll take care of you. Put that Brian, uh, what would you say to the people who didn't call Anderson Heat and Air? The people who didn't call Anderson Heat and Air, don't call me because we can't be friends anymore because you have a subpar air unit in your house. So you need to get a hold of Anderson Heat and Air, and again, that phone number to get a hold of him is that at... what number? That phone number. Okay, go ahead. Is at 870 870- 664-1967. Talk to me about the Drifted Drum. The Drifted Drum Company is ran by Dr. April Jones. She just had a conference uh, this last from what time we're recording yesterday, actually on Saturday. She had a uh, a conference. She's doing a lot of cool stuff at the Drifted Drum, and she's got a cool book. Her book is entitled No Mess, No Message. It's about finding purpose in your pain. It's too expensive. How can I get it cheaper? By putting in the promo code on thedriftedrum.com, the promo code CRUCIAL to get 10% off. But CRUCIAL2020 gets you an additional 10% off. I, Make it 20% off this time. I didn't know that ad was still going. Still going. But I'm glad it is. So CRUCIAL2020. CRUCIAL2020. And guys, our last sponsor before we get into the episode is Sheila Texter. What? Tell me about her book, Brian. She has a book talking about overcoming the past that you've had, yeah. uh, dealing with past mistakes. Her book is entitled Life After the Mistake. That's right. And so she will be able to uh, encourage you through that book. In fact, she should be a guest in the very near future. Yeah. Sure. So that way she can come on and she can talk about the book. We're going to get to know her a little bit better, let her introduce herself to our audience so that way we can encourage uh, all of you to get that book, to be encouraged about how to overcome the struggles that you've gone through and the past heartbreaks. New beginnings. There is life after the mistake. Perfect. Absolutely life after mistake. Guys, enjoy this episode. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. Well, we're back again after a little bit of a layoff in November. I had a lot of stuff going on in November. Um, we we actually we had a conference at our church, and uh, Tony and I we cooked at this conference, and we made some good barbecue. We didn't cook. We masterpieced. We masterpieced. What all we cook? We cooked chicken thighs. Chicken thighs. We did some pulled pork, some brisket. Yep. Sausage and cheese. Uh, we did uh, barbecue nachos before oh yeah that was tremendous that was absolutely tremendous i was thinking about that today uh how good that was that was pretty chaotic what else did we make ribs 
ribs, yeah. Like in like midnight, we 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 made ribs at midnight, so that was fun. We had we had a lot of good food uh, during that conference. It was pretty stressful. Oh my gosh, it was pretty stressful Up all night long. So we we get to the church to because <laughs> we're thinking a brisket takes like sixteen hours. Because like I've been seeing stuff online talking about it. it takes like fourteen to sixteen hours to do a brisket. Dude, we started that dude way too early, and we started it way too early because at midnight it was done. <laughs> so it got done twelve hours before time to serve because it was supposed to be served at noon the next day, and so at midnight we put it in the church's oven, and so we camped out for no reason. Yeah, but just because of the brisket, because everything else got done. Well, we started cooking that Boston butt at like midnight. Yeah, I guess it was around midnight, wasn't it? Yeah. It was fairly early, and so that all it all got done way early. But the thing is, it still tasted fresh. Yeah, it was, it was delicious. Some, it was some awesome barbecue. Tony and I ca- camped out in the foyer of our church. Even though we had a tent, we camped out in the foyer. Yeah, tell us about that tent. Oh my gosh, it was too cold. People were arguing. I got in that tent for like three minutes. I'm like, nope, I'll go in the church. He was arguing people who were just out in the neighborhood. Yeah, people that live in the apartments behind our church. Yeah, so we made fun of Tony the whole night about how, why did you set up this tent? And sure enough, even he thought it was a bad idea in the end. It was too cold. It was too cold. Too cold. So November, man, um, a lot of stuff happened. Man, after. Came over to your house to watch the election. Yeah. Was up all night long. I think I still had that sparkling cider in there that we were going to celebrate with. Yeah, there was no need for celebration at mm, all. None. No celebration last November for at, that at election. All, at all. Nothing. I it's, mean. It's really... I've never known of something like that happening. I think I like get That's happened. another episode, though. Yeah, I think something like that happened in, like, 2000 when people, like, went to bed thinking somebody was president, and the next day they weren't, so... Uh, Talk about Al Gore? Yeah, it was Al Gore. So it looks like it's going to be Joe Biden in January. So fun times. And then my wife came down with COVID. Oh, my word. Yeah. I seriously thought that she was going to die. I mean, she looked so sick. I mean, she couldn't stay awake for five, stay awake for five minutes. I mean, she was just in a bad state. And then two days later, three days later, no, the following week, I got tested. I became positive. Mm-hmm. But the difference between me and her is I felt great the whole time. I didn't have no signs, no symptoms. I didn't even so much as have watery eyes or a runny nose. I felt great. feel like I do right now. Everything was perfect. And then two days into a quarantine, I had the most traumatic thing of my life happen. That's what we're going to talk about, Brian. Yeah, so we just kind of did some small talk to lead into this episode, but at the the top of the episode, you heard a clip from Tony's dad preaching what ended up being his last sermon. And uh, so, Tony, I, w- I want to talk to you primarily um, and kind of talk about your dad, um, memories of your dad, your dad's legacy, uh, what happened to your dad when you got the news, how it affected you. Uh, but before anything, since it was ultimately COVID that took your dad from us, when was the first time that you even heard about COVID-19? Man, I think it was with you. And, and you know, we were just talking about, you know, I thought it was nothing more than the flu. I uh, didn't change the way I lived, even though everything was shut down. Me and Brian, your wife was furloughed and you were still working. But we were all always together doing something because, you know, eight weeks got laid off. I, I got to say that this summer was probably the best summer of my life. Same here. Like We spent so much time fishing. and Like I was telling Melissa recently, I don't think we'll ever have a summer like this again. Yeah. Where you were off, she was off, and we just went fishing. We just pulled that boat around all over. Every day. We did it's about it seemed like. And we yeah. were catching good fish. Yeah, we were. Uh, but like, we'll just never, like, it's just crazy how life is sometimes that we'll never have a circumstance like that. But so at that time, I mean, I, no, neither of us were wearing masks going in gas stations. No, wasn't wearing gas when we were or wearing gas. Yes. Weren't wearing masks when we were together. I mean, we just, we didn't change the way we lived, even though the world around us was changing. We didn't change. No. And you know, I mean, when my wife got it, I was like, you know, this, there's something to it. You know, she's, she's pretty sick and. You know, 
when I had it, I was like, you know, is this really a thing? And then my dad lasts, you know, eight hours with it. And so it just literally blows my mind. But the whole story about that was my, uh, my mom's work had an outbreak at her, at her job. And my dad had, um, congestive heart failure and he's had some, uh, health issues in the past. So whenever he got, uh, the news that, you know, there was an outbreak of my mom's work, he went and got tested. And after he got tested, he came home, you know, was just living life and, you know, just the normal. And my sister, she works for what's called SIH. And that is the whole network of hospitals and doctor clinics in Southern Illinois. And uh, I think SIH stands for Southern Illinois Healthcare or something like that. But anyway, she texted me and said, Dad doesn't know this yet, but Dad tested positive. And, you know, I was thinking, well, he don't sound sick. He don't act sick. The whole nine yards. Everything seems fine. Well, later on that night, about 7.30, 8 o'clock, my dad texted me. I still have it in my phone. My dad texted me and said, I tested positive, but I feel great. Well, our nightly tradition, Brian, was we would call each other and FaceTime each other because I live three hours from my parents. And he would always want to talk to us and talk to my daughter, Olivia, and you know, they just just to always have that connection, even though we were far away, which FaceTime is an awesome thing. And we were able to talk to Dad, and he was laughing, cutting up, having a good time. He actually made a joke about my mom. My mom. You know, if anybody knew my dad, he was always cutting jokes on my mom or me or, you know, the grandkids. But he said, yeah, I guess I'm going to be hanging out with your mom, looking at your mom's ugly mug for Thanksgiving. You know, we're all going to be quarantined. Well... You know, we we don't think nothing else about it. We were laughing, having a good time. We hung up that night. And then the next morning about 8 o'clock, my brother-in-law texted me and said, Hey, call my work. Um, Gave me the phone number, the extension, whatever. He told me that Dad had woke up and couldn't hardly breathe or whatever, and he just was struggling. And they were going to call an ambulance because he wasn't feeling good. And they called that ambulance, and the ambulance had come and picked him up, and his oxygen was so low, they were just stunned at how low it was. And I didn't know at this point, but I knew before the ambulance got there, my mom told me at a later time, which I wished I wouldn't have asked, but I asked what was Dad's final moments like. And she said that he was just sitting on the edge of his chair, just praying and begging God, Please let me breathe. I can't breathe. I just want to breathe. And uh, there was nothing at that point my mom could do. We were just, she was just hoping that that ambulance would hurry up and get there. Well, the ambulance arrived. They got him loaded up in the ambulance. And like I said, his oxygen was so low that um, whenever he was in the ambulance, my mom said, we need to take him to Carbondale, which is about a 20-minute ride. Um, and they said, okay. We'll call ahead, get all of Dad's doctors ready, and we'll be ready for him. We'll be, we'll be looking for him. We'll have everything prepped and ready to go. And as they were going down through the neighborhood, they they told my mom, he can't make it to Carbondale. We got to go four miles away to Union County Hospital. And uh, on the way to the hospital, uh, my dad's oxygen got so low it threw his heart into panic mode, and he had a massive heart attack and died. And I'll never forget the phone call I got at 9, or I think it was 8.20 a.m. No, 9.20 a.m. I forget the time, but I'll never forget what was on the other line. My mom called me and she said, are you alone? And at that point, I knew that my mom had something to say. And I, I just, out of frustration, I was like, Mom, whatever you've got to tell me, just tell me. And she said, your dad just died. And from that time... I, I literally, Brian, I just hung up the phone. I didn't say a single word. And I collapsed to my knees, my face buried in the carpet, and I began to just uncontrollably weep. And mind you, this is the second day of my 14-day quarantine. I can't be with my family. I can't be with 
uh, my church family. I can't be with my friends. I have zero human interaction other than with my wife and daughter. And I felt so alone during those 14 days. I mean, I was just miserable. I couldn't be with my mom. I couldn't be with my sister. I couldn't be with my grandparents. I couldn't do anything. I so, was just miserable. So I'm sitting at work this morning, and at 9.18, at that time, I'm, I'm watching a YouTube live debate about baptism that I was watching and didn't see the text message. But at 9.18, Tony texted me and Melissa asking us to pray. And I never see the text message. And I look back down at my phone. It's like 9.30 or maybe it was... Maybe it was 10.30. Maybe you waited an hour to text us or something like that. It was like a two-hour debate. And I looked down, and all I saw was he's he's gone. And Melissa's saying, I can't believe this, or I'm so sorry. And I didn't even know it was gone because I hadn't been paying attention to my phone. So I turned the debate off, and I read the text messages, and it's just like shock that this happened. Yeah, I couldn't it, believe it. It seemed so unbelievable because I didn't know that he had tested positive at this time. I didn't know anything. And and so what I'm dealing with is both my parents have tested positive that weekend. Mm. And my dad doesn't have any symptoms. But my mom, the night before, is texting me you know, messages late at night saying, I love you, and I hope this thing doesn't kill me. And so I'm now... You know, this has now hit one of my close friends, his family. And so I'm thinking, what if, you know, my parents are next? And so, and like I stepped outside and I call my mom and she's, she's feeling better that day. Thank God. And, and she can't believe it. And she tells my dad, he can't believe it. I mean, everybody's just in shock because you didn't think, you wouldn't think this is going to happen to somebody that, that you know. Right, it's always somebody else, and it, and not only that, but it's always well. We knew yesterday. We had a day to prepare for the worst. Yeah, this was a text message, and then another hour, and then all of a sudden it's, and like with you, I mean, it's in an eight-hour time span. Yeah, and that's the hardest part for me was, you know, at the time I was so, I was more angry than I was sad because. I was I was just thinking, you know, God, why couldn't you answer that prayer? You know, somebody who's devoted his whole life to you and to the ministry, why couldn't you just breathe that simple, fresh breath of air into his lungs? It's so easy for you to do. And there was somebody that I told that story to, or my wife told that story to, I forget who it was, but they came back and said, you know, maybe God did answer that prayer. You didn't have to say goodbye to a shell of a man that's on a ventilator. You didn't have to say goodbye to somebody who's so medically heavily sedated that they don't know if they're even alive or dead. You know, and it, for me it was hard because it, had I known that was my last conversation with my dad, it probably wouldn't have been those jokes. It probably wouldn't have been, you know, all these things. But, you know, I, I really feel like, you know, God orchestrated a lot of things in my dad's last days. You know, for instance, I saw him for three weeks in a row. Uh, between you and I, Brian, and now, no, no telling how many listeners are going to listen to this, I was kind of tired of being around them because we were with them for three weekends in a row. You know, that's a lot, you know, when you don't live around them. But um, I was with them for three weekends in a row, and the last weekend we were together. Guys, listen to this. We had... Every single person in my family, except for one person, together for Sunday lunch. Like everybody, like it, that don't happen even during Christmas or Thanksgiving. You know, somebody's always going to be missing a couple people here and there. We had every, I'm talking about everybody. We had aunts, uncles, uh, brothers and sisters, grandkids, moms and dad. We were all together for Sunday lunch. And that was two weeks before my dad had died. And then I feel like God orchestrated that. And then the very next week, the Sunday before my dad had died, he preached the sermon, I see a fog lifting. And it was about preparing your heart for heaven. Little did he know he was preaching to himself for two days later. 
you know, God orchestrates those things. And whether my dad knew it or not, which I really felt like my dad in his heart knew, um, you know, his time was limited because me and him had conversations, you know, that we had never had before about, you know, um, the future and him preaching that sermon and, you know, things like that. And, and, but had I, had I known, you know, I think it'd just be different, but I will tell you, Brian, the hardest thing I have ever done in my life is open the doors to my dad's church in Cobden and walk down that center aisle where there is a casket sitting in front of the pulpit with the casket open and seeing my dad for the first time as he's passed. That was the hardest thing I have ever done in my entire life. And then the next day when we had the funeral, we had some awesome speakers at it. But the second day at the funeral, um, I mean, so many cool things happened that day. And then I said my final goodbye. And, you know, this is kind of comical. But whenever it was done and over with and the last word had been said, I looked at my mom and my sister with not a tear in my eye. I said, well, I'm ready to go. The chapter of my life, that part of my life, I felt had closed. It's been written. And, you know, but... I will tell you the hardest thing I have ever experienced in my life was the loss of my dad. I mean, because I felt like we were um, best of friends, you know. Uh, anybody who knows my dad knows that my dad was a cut-up. He was one of the boys, you know. He, a lot of people saw him as a pastor or a presbyter or, you know, just a dignified person. But, Brian, you know him better than that. He was He was a jokester. He was... He was like me and you and my other friends, you know, my boys growing up. He, yeah, was, he always taught, told me he was going to teach me how to catch a fish. <laughs> yeah, and I sent you a picture of him holding a massive bass earlier. Yes. But, I mean, he was, you know, he was one of us for sure. But I'll tell you something real quick that happened at the funeral. I don't want to just keep yabbing on about it, but something that happened at the funeral that I thought was so neat. My dad had has... Always liked the preacher T.D. Jakes. I mean, we all like that kind of preaching and teaching and that kind of style and delivery. But T.D. Jakes preached a sermon a couple years ago about not dying in your nest. Brian, you've heard it. I've heard it. He built this huge eagle's nest in front in his in his church on the platform, and he preached about how eagles are not just a normal bird. They, they fly high. They don't associate with things that are on the ground because they're a different breed. They're so majestic and, you know, just a different kind of animal. And my dad thought that was very interesting. And he started beginning to study the habits and the, um, and the different lifestyles that eagles have and kind of their habits and their habitats and, you know, just, just how an eagle was. And I didn't see it, I wish I had, but my former pastor that now pastors in Michigan, his wife told me that as soon as the funeral started at the graveside, there was an eagle that was circling the tent and the casket way up high. And then whenever the speakers began to speak, he flew over to a branch and was watching the whole service. And then... He would get up and fly around in circles. Then he'd go back to that exact same branch and continue to watch. And then whenever the last word was spoken and the Bible was closed, that eagle did one more circle and flew off. And she told me about that. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, how awesome is our creation? That, you know, just a little bit of a reminder you know, that God is still in control, that there's there's a heavenly reward that we're all going to be working towards. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I have been bitter. I've been angry. I've been sad. Uh, I've been lonely. I've been, you know, I find myself trying to call my dad, you know, because when I'm driving down the road, I hate, and I'm by myself, I hate to just sit here. I like to call people and talk to them. And my dad was always one of those guys. And, you know, I find myself still trying to call him. 
I mean, I find something funny or I, I, I see something or I want advice. I still try to find myself calling him and it's just hard sometimes, but I never want to forget, you know, that God has a greater plan for all of us that we're trying to work towards a better, a better goal. So knowing what you know now, what would you have said on that last FaceTime? Man, I'd have, I have no idea. Um, I will say this though. Um, what's today? Sunday on Saturday. No, on Friday night I was, I was, um, very, very restless. I was asleep, but it wasn't good sleep. You know what I'm talking about, man? Like, you're asleep, but you know you're asleep, and you're like your mind's still wondering. Well, I, I start dreaming that I am in, um, I'm in my parents' house in their guest bedroom, and I was crying. I was just bawling, crying, because I, I, I just learned that my dad died. I was just replaying that scenario again, but I was in a different place at a different time, and I was just miserable. And Meredith was there in the bed, and Olivia was asleep in the bed. But I remember being on the floor crying just like I was at my house. And all of a sudden, I heard my dad walking down the hall and talking. And I remember getting up and running over to him and hugging him and saying, Dad, I thought you were dead. He said, I am dead. I'm just here to remind you um, that you need to have a better prayer life that you need to, you know, live a better life, that you're working towards a goal, and this is awesome, how what I'm living. And I remember, you know, me and my parents aren't no, are nothing like a lot of people's parents. Um, I very, very rarely uh, tell my parents that I love them. I mean, we just don't do that. I, uh, like northern people, I guess, are different than southern people, but we just didn't did that do that. And you know, and I remember telling my dad I loved him, and he told me he loved me too. And he told me right before I woke up, Brian, my dad told me in this dream, "Stop being upset. I'm watching over you." And I woke up instantly, and I I, I remember thinking, "Oh my word! I hope." that I don't constantly dream about my dad because I don't want to continuously be sad and all this stuff. But, you know, that did give me hope and reassurance that we are living to be in a better way, a better life, for sure. So what's your fondest memory of your dad? So I guess it would be something that people's not expecting. Mine would be... When I was growing up, we were dirt poor. Um, I mean, I remember getting bags of candy for Christmas while my friends were getting toys. Um, I remember being um, uh, kind of made fun of because I wasn't wearing Nike shoes. I was wearing Walmart shoes. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But, you know... My dad always, always, always made it a point to take me to things um, such as monster truck shows, such as baseball games, and even the stuff that I absolutely hated to do as a kid, hospital calls, um, camp meetings, um, different kind of church things. I hated that. But now that I look back, as a 30-year-old, all I think of is I am so thankful that my dad drug me to every single one of those calls, every single one of those meetings, everything that he did for me. I'm so thankful because now I look at it as time spent. Those are memories. Whenever you, you have your parents, you don't think of them as memories. But when they're gone, that's what you hold on to. That's what you remember. Um, I mean... My dad being a part of the Illinois district, dude, we went to everything. I don't care what it was. I was drugged to every little thing. I mean, I was seriously doing stuff that I didn't want to do. I didn't have no need being there. But I'm so thankful now that I, I had that, that opportunity to 
to be with him and all those little things. Um, one of my fondest things, memories would be, I remember whenever I was still living in Illinois and I was just dating my wife now, I went, me and Meredith were just dating. And I told my dad, I said, you know, I really feel like, um, I think Meredith is the one. And he said, without hesitation, then ask her to marry you. You know, I always thought it was something different. You know, I thought it was harder than that. And then I'll give you my ultimate, all-time, fondest memory of my dad. My spiritual well-being was more important to my dad than anything else in the world. Whenever I decided that I was going to get married and move to Arkansas, my dad was not happy. Um, he was very upset with me, and we argued about it a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot. Um, and I remember I, I told him, I said, January 1st, 2011, I'll be moving to Arkansas. You know, I thought I was a man, Brian. <laughs> you know how you make those decisions. Anyway, I'll never forget. And how old would you have been? Uh, 21. And, uh, no, I was 20 when I moved. But uh, I was leaving an amazing paying job. I mean, phenomenal for anybody, um, not just a 20-year-old. Um, you know, ma I was making fantastic monies, living at home, had no bills, nothing. You know, my dad was like, you're giving up all this, blah, 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 whatever. And I told him, I said, you know, I just, I want to move where, and I, I feel like I'm going to be going to a good church, and I feel like I could grow and develop. And anyway, I remember my dad making the statement to me. He said, as, you, as your father, I'm begging you not to go. I don't want to lose my son. But as your pastor, because he was my pastor at the time, he said, if it's going to be the best for you to leave and for you to grow and to develop, I'm asking you to go. And I'll never forget how that made me feel. Um, my dad was still upset with me when I moved. Um, me and my dad were very, very close. And I think we went like three or four weeks without talking to each other after I moved because he was mad at me. Um, he was a little bitter. I was thinking that I was the man. I was looking out for number one, and I didn't consider those around me. And, you know, my dad was pastoring, like I said, at that time. And he just, uh, he needed my help. But more than he needed my help, he wanted me to grow and develop as a Christian. And that is probably my fondest memory of my dad. It's a wise uh, bit of advice he gave you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I could have stayed where I was at. But where I was at, I wasn't growing. I was bitter because I was the drummer. I was the lawnmower. I was the dishes cleaner. I was the, hey, take this meal to sister or brother so-and-so, their house bound. I was, I did everything. I was the sound guy, turn the lights on, clean the church. I mean, my family, now I don't want to talk negative about anybody in that church or anything, but my family had a hand in doing absolutely everything because my dad always preached to me that seek ye first the kingdom of God, and we want to do the most we can for the kingdom. Not just what we have to do, but what can we do. And man, I remember just, oh, I did not want to be like that. But I, I'm thankful that, that I was. Now. How long did your dad pastor Apostolic Lighthouse? Um, I think 12 years, 13 years. Because he wasn't your pastor growing up. No, I my dad, whenever I was growing up, my first pastor, my dad was just a saint. Until I was like five or six years old. And I had a man by the name of Joey McKinnis that became my pastor. And he got voted in there. And I didn't know this story, Brian, until uh, at the after the visitation, we all went over to a house and we were just telling stories real late into the night, just laughing, uh, telling jokes, telling stories about my dad. And then I asked my pastor, I said, how did dad get involved in the ministry? And, my, and he was telling me that he preached a sermon, Brother McKinnis preached a sermon on servanthood. And my after the sermon, my dad went down to the altar 
And my dad's a big man. Like he's just a built, strong, heavy man. And uh, he got down on his knees and was submitting his life to church and to Christ. And my pastor walked by him and God told him to stop. He said, you just found your right hand man in ministry. And so he talked to my dad about it and was interested to see if he'd be interested in becoming the assistant pastor. My dad at this point had never preached a sermon. He had never done anything in ministry. He's always just been the, oh, well, brother, go forth, we'll do that kind of guy. And Brother McKinnis got him involved in ministry. And my dad, or Sister McKinnis was telling me a story about my dad, how my pastor was the presbyter. And my pastor would drag my dad, just like my dad would me, to all these events and being, you know, no, brother, go for you sit up here with these preachers, you know, kind of thing. And my dad got up and walked out and they thought they had embarrassed my dad. And they go outside and they look for my dad and they find him in the foyer of that church weeping. And they said, brother, go forth, what's wrong? And my dad replied, I never in my life would have thought I would be where you have taken me. I've always felt a calling, but I never knew how to go about it. And, um, you know, he started to develop a ministry out of underneath my pastor there. And my, like I said, my pastor was the presbyter. My dad was not pastoring. And the men of that section in the Illinois district voted my dad in as Sunday school director. Now we know Brian, that those positions are reserved for pastors. You know, you, you pastors get the, the positions in your section, the official, uh, you know, positions. Well, my dad got voted in as Sunday school director, and I showed you right before we came out and recorded this, I got all my dad's accolades on my wall, and one of them was he got director of the year for the El the whole Illinois district. Uh, I forget what year it was. I think it was like uh, 05. He got director of the year. He resigned from that and immediately got voted in as dis, uh, Sunday, or no, um, sectional secretary. That's another position that is reserved for pastors. But the men in our section thought so highly of my dad that they thought he was the man for the job. So my dad served my underneath my pastor as assistant pastor and secretary of the district. And then... My pastor, when I was probably 19 or 20, resigned the church, and um, I was mad at that. I felt like I'd lost my dad. You know, he was, I spent more time with Brother McKinnis than I did with anybody in the world. I was always with them. And he resigned, and my dad had no intentions of running for the church or anything like that. And the church wanted my dad, they voted him in without really my dad doing anything and it wasn't even a couple years later that the district voted him in as presbyter and you know that's kind of how my dad got his start in the ministry and you know until the day he died my dad served the church he served the district and he served the united pentecostal church with i mean the utmost respect i mean i mean he i i tried to get him to move to Arkansas District. There's a couple of church. There was actually a church in the Arkansas District that contacted my dad about coming in pastoring it. And my dad just, he couldn't leave the Illinois District. He loved it so much. And uh, all because that's where his roots were. I gave him a sword. Yeah. I got his, uh, when you get ordained in the state of Illinois, you become an ordained minister. In the state of Illinois, they give you a sword. It's like cool. Like a massive sword. Like a, Four like, foot sword, like take your head off. Yeah, like a real sword where it's got a brave heart. Yeah, yeah, it's got a plastic covering over the tip because it will slice your head off. Yeah, that kind of sword. It's pretty epic. Yeah, and I always tease. Yeah, in that. Arkansas, you get a towel. Yeah, I tease our pastor like, "Oh, sweet, you get a towel. Is that to wipe up the blood after someone from Illinois District slices your head off?" Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like completely different. Yeah, but I think in Arkansas they 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 want to value the idea of service. Yeah, for sure. And uh, in Illinois, apparently, it's spiritual warfare. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Hey, every district's different. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, it'd be sweet to get ordained in a couple of different districts and be like, "Hey, I got this sword now." Have Illinois, a wall of fame. It was like, "Hey, here you go." <laughs> yeah, and I don't know what you get in like Philadelphia, in like 
Pennsylvania, it's like this is like my framed like Philly cheesesteak, you know, something like that. <laughs> yeah, I got a slice of cheese. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In in Wisconsin, here's a cheese curd. There you go. Yeah. There you go. But man, I'll tell you, November 2020, the year 2020 has been insane. November. It's been wild. November has been the worst year of my life. Um, they tried to take. I say they. The enemy tried to take my wife's health, tried to attack my health, took my father. I mean, I this Thanksgiving, I told my wife, I said, I'm thankful for nothing. She put a stop to that real quick, though. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was just all down in the dumps. And, you know, Meredith has lost her father already. And, you know, I was just down in the dumps and pity and myself and. You know, my wife started very quickly naming the things I had to be thankful for. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's the worst Thanksgiving I've ever been a part of. Yeah. I think that's kind of universal. A lot of people are saying this has probably been like the worst year, pretty much. Yeah. It's just changed everybody's lives. For sure. Hey, Bay 21, we got Joe Biden as president, so you know things are going to get better. (sighs) Yay. I remember Ronald Reagan saying that... uh, if you ever, I wish I could find the exact quote, but it said like run if you depend on the government for your help. And then Joe Biden recently makes a quote that says, if you're hurting, the government's coming for you to help. And I, was, oh, I got to, th- I just, you know, it's just, but do you think we're living in the end times? I mean, like we're closer to the end time. Yeah, definitely. There's seven seals that Revelation talks about. How many seals do you think we've seen opened? And what do you think they are? Uh, I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, I really I really don't know. I don't necessarily... I really don't want to speculate on it because I really don't know. Gotcha. I, I haven't thought enough of, the really reason, about it. The reason I ask that is because everybody assumed that the mark of the beast would be like a chip, mm-hmm. things like that. And since we're talking about COVID-19... I saw that in the state of California, once the vaccine comes available, if you don't take that vaccine, you're not going to be allowed into stores, to restaurants, to sporting events, to concerts. I don't even know if you're allowed to go into churches. Mm -hmm. And they will give you a barcode or a QR code that allows people to stand at the door and scan it to show that you've been um, vaccinated, I guess is the word. Mm Mm-hmm. What's your thought process on that? Uh, I do not think it's the mark of the beast, but I am not one of those that because I say that, I don't say it's not very akin to the mark of the beast. And what I say that is because I think the mark of the beast is not really just like some tattoo on somebody's hand or forehead of like three digits, six, six, six. I think it's more symbolic of allegiance because it is a mock of Deuteronomy 6 and 4 hero Israel the Lord our God is one Lord because the binding of the forehead and of the hand is what Deuteronomy 6 and 4 is to be bound to in the Old Testament they were to wear it on their foreheads and on their hands yeah and so the mark of the beast is a mockery of Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And so what I think it is, is it simply is a loyalty that it's not that I'm loyal in all that I think and all that I do to the one true God, but it's to man that I'm loyal and I trust and depend on man. And so the idea of the vaccine being the mark of the beast, I do not think so. But I do think there's a sentiment that is attached to it and that this government entity is the thing that I get my security from. I get my peace from. I do my things for this government. They, when Anything that takes your loyalty from Christ and it's put on something else, I think that is a mark. I, ser- I seriously think that the government sat back and watched how easily the United States can be shut down and how quickly mm-hmm. it can be shut down with this virus. Yeah. You know, that scares me. It's wild. You know, and, and the thing is, is like how many churches went along with these orders, which I understand. There's a there's a lot to it. But the thing is, we're still struggling to open churches now. Yeah. 
What if we had some churches that's never shut down? I wonder what would have happened if all of every church said, hey, we're going to do things responsibly and we're going to do certain things, protective measures, because now they're still being shut down. Like in California, you're struggling. I mean, I don't really want to get in all that because, I mean, I can't speculate on what I would do because I've never been in the position to do it. And I respect people on all ends. I have people that I respect that have never shut down. I have people that I respect that are still virtual today. Everybody has to do what what, what they had to do. But I will say this, that it has been a very hard year for churches. It has been a very hard year. Um, it's been, it's been tough. The whole world is, is adapting. It's changing. Like one of the most horrifying things I saw was someone that we, uh, went to church with that's now in the military. She reposted something on, on her Facebook about in California where she now lives. There was a elementary student who committed suicide on a school zoom call. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, like this is such a, there, this is such an hour that we need the church. We need to be the church. And really, I mean, a lot of people are taking this as, well, this is our one-year vacation. We've, we've never had Sunday after Sunday off. So I'm taking a spiritual vacation from God. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you, man, 2020 is a beast unlike any other. Um, we had a small Thanksgiving with Meredith's grandparents. And her grandpa lived through the Great Depression. And her grandma was real, real young during it, but she was talking a little bit about it as well. They still think that our world, since they've been living, hasn't seen anything like what we're dealing with now. We're dealing with fraud. We're dealing with lies. We're li- dealing with deceit. We're dealing with um, a uh, a virus we've never seen before. Your dad now votes Democrat in Illinois. Yeah, that's that's what I was saying. I mean, my grandmother, who has been dead for 20 years, 25 years, got a stimulus check. It's pretty epic. Got a stimulus check. And you can't tell me she didn't vote this year. You know, it's the world that we know it. But what can we do, Brian? What can we do? What can our listeners do to make sure that their 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 heart is right and that they're living right? I mean, don't get don't give me that cheap answer. Which cheap answer? Go to church, have a prayer life. Don't that's that's our way out. But for me, right now, I don't feel like there's a book. I don't feel like there's a scripture. I don't feel like there's a sermon that could make me feel better right now. Because I'm 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 depressed. And I pray and I feel as I did before I prayed. Sometimes I feel a little bit more comfort. But, I mean, I look at pictures and I get depressed. I look at my dad's Facebook messages and I get depressed. Uh, I'm talking, preaching on Facebook. You know, that, that is a cool thing that's happened in 2020 that would have never have happened before. I can go back and watch my dad's sermons mm-hmm. on Facebook. This church didn't have Facebook before this. Now every church has it. But what can, what can our listeners, what can we do? to make sure that our eyes are still on the on, on the right prize and on the goal. Well, really, it really is. I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, it's not something really to trivialize. I mean, I think it really is just those basics that, that, that you, you mentioned. I think that it's, it is a lot of, it's got to be me and God. I got to know I'm in this for him, not for anybody else. And, and also, the, the assumption that we, because, see, here's the thing is we live in the greatest country on earth. Is it flawed? It's <laughs> no, flawed. A little bit. It's flawed. But it is the greatest, in my opinion, that you would ever want to live in. Um, th- this is not the end of the world. I mean, I get down in the dumps about a Biden presidency, and it's probably going to be pretty rough. But it's not the end of the world. We'll endure. Things will get better. 24 Trump saying he's running again. I'm just saying. So, uh, it's like things, things will get better. They'll get bad. They'll get better. But the thing is, we're comfortable in North America because we do have all kinds of innovation and 
and and that society has bled into our preaching and our idea of what Christianity is to where the assumption is the American dream is the will of God. And sometimes pain is the will of God. Man, that's hard to swallow. Though. And it's tough to swallow because it's we've been conditioned in North America, if you're uncomfortable, go change the air conditioner. If things aren't going well, you change everything. Like, again, if, if you're in your house and it's too hot, you go and change it. If the unit goes out, you change it out. You call Anderson Heat and Air. That was just a flawless Yeah, it, it was it's clean. <laughs> We're conditioned that we change things when it's not coming together. Got to reinvent the wheel when things aren't coming together. And sometimes that little bit of chaos is God's will. It's what God has allowed. It's what God in his infinite wisdom knows is in the end is best from us rather because he could protect us from all problems and why he doesn't that's the toughest thing that's the hard thing but in those moments when you just don't know why you don't just quit and you don't just give up on everything you just got to keep on going you, you don't just change everything be like well my routine something's totally wrong in my routine now there's some people out there yes your routine is bad it yeah. is bad wrong you need to get saved like, there are people out there that are just living their life and all that. I mean, they don't need to continue in the, the smut and sin they're in. They need to ch change. Repentance is a scriptural thing. Some people need to. But there are people out there that are beating themselves up because, well, I haven't spoken tongues in three days. Something's wrong with me. Well, we've been conditioned as Pentecostals that the measure of our spirituality is how when was the last time you talked in tongues? <laughs> I mean, there are people that talk in tongues all day and all night and watch porn when, but before they go to bed. And I'm just saying, because God is going to change only what you allow him to change. He will, he will enter in and change only the level of which you allow him in. And so, yeah, there, there are people that speak in tongues all the time and it's, da -da 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 -da, do you hear me? It's, it's an attention thing. We think it's the measure. We think it's the thermostat. I'm 98.6. That means I'm good because I did this. And that's not how it's what spirituality is measured by. The Bible tells us, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. But we think spirituality is how we can present, how we can perform under pressure or in, in these times. And it's not about that. It is about your personal walk with God. It is about you and him. Do you really know him? We think, and, and again, in our, our context, we think we really did something. When our ladies go to Walmart and someone says, hey, where do you go to church because of how they're dressed? We think we really did something. Mm -hmm. But when's the last time somebody stopped you at Walmart and said, hey, where do you go to church based on your attitude? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we think we've really done something. But because we were, were taught, this is the measure. This is our thermometer. And if you're going through pain, something's wrong. If you're poor, something's wrong. And we knock the prosperity gospel, but we preach it too. But it's not about all that. It's not about driving the nice car all the time. I mean, the, the most important event in the history of Christianity is the most painful event. Mm -hmm. It was the cross. The most important event in Jesus's earthly life was the cross. Without pain, we couldn't have been saved. Without the most immense suffering, we couldn't have been saved. The question is why God in his wisdom chooses those things. I don't even know. I can't articulate a great answer. I encourage you to listen to one of our past episodes with Jeremy Painter. We talked about it a lot. That was a deep episode. That was a deep episode. It was an unappreciated episode. To me, it was one of the best because we talked about why God allows some suffering and some pain. But the question is, well, what do we do to fix all this? I mean, sometimes it's not our job to fix it. Maybe God put that problem there. He'll move it when it's time. 
And this isn't some Calvinist thing that's saying that God ordains every single little thing and, and commands all the suffering in your life. And, and no matter what you do, there it is. Some of it, we step in it on our own. I mean, there's some problems people are out there suffering with. Well, the reason why you've lost your kids is because you've been on dope for 15 years. Yeah. And, and, I'm and then a, you want to blame it yeah, on something else. God didn't cause that addiction in your life. But that's not even that's not even the core of what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, and we're, we're talking about, what do you do in 2020 whenever your mom and dad just got diagnosed with COVID-19, your job's shutting down because the the government's keeping you on lockdown, and now the, the job's gone, and restaurants are turning upside down, and then what do you do? You make sure you're right with God. That's That's it. You have to, to know your, what you depend on doesn't come from Asa Hutchinson in Arkansas, our governor. He, he isn't your security blanket. Jesus is. He's the provider. He's the one that receives thanks. And to Meredith's wise point, not allowing you to say, I've got nothing to be thankful for, you've got to find something to be thankful for. Um, I don't remember if he told the story or not when we interviewed James Lumpkin, but he talked about how he went to a uh, AA meeting one time or some uh, meeting and with, with his son. And he said they went around the room and somebody would say, 15 years sober, and the whole crowd would clap and applaud. And the next person would say, 10 years sober, and they'd all clap and applaud. And then the next person would say, one day sober, and they would applaud just the same for the 15-year and the 20-year sober as they did for the one-day sober. And he said, I sat in that meeting and I learned in that meeting that you got to praise God over the little things. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is, you will lose your mind if you just sit and you meditate on all the bad. You've got to at some point that look That quarantine up. did it to me, man. Yep. You, whenever you... Whenever you're on day two of a 14-day quarantine... And I you can't get, blame you at all. And you get news that shatters your world. It's the hardest... That is literally the hardest thing that I've ever dealt with in my entire life. It was... I just... I couldn't do it again if I had to. I mean, I, I just... I don't know what I would... And this is what I was telling my friends. It's very carnal. But I don't know how prisoners do it. I had every comfortability thing in my house. I had a TV. I had internet. I had food. I had a hot shower. I had privacy. I had a comfortable bed. In 14 days, isolated in my house, I couldn't do it. I, I I just I was miserable. Now, also, I got some you know, like I said, bad news. But I mean, without that bad news, I couldn't do it. And but, like you said, Brian, you can't afford to let your mind just defeat you. Over those little things. They will. If you I let mean, it. it is, that's tough. That's some good stuff. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a tough thing. And another thing I just want to say, because it just popped in my head, we can't live in fear. We can't live in fear. And in a, in a time right now where you're being told on the media to be afraid, like whenever my mom tested positive, she was, she was having panic attacks, not even because she felt bad, which she did. But she's been told by watching the news for the last six months that it's a death sentence for her age group. Mm-hmm. And How old's your mom? Uh, she's 67. My dad was 62. Yeah. My mom's, my parents are quite a bit old. My dad turned 70 this December. Uh, I came late in their life. But um, there's, there's so much out there to tell you to freak out. Um, on conservative media, they're telling you to freak out about Biden. Uh, the Democrats are saying freak out about Trump. I mean, there's everything's telling you you got to be afraid and you got to be worried about stuff. But not every, not everything is the demon that's waiting around the corner to get you. Yeah, and what? and we can't live our lives in constant perpetual fear. I understand we need to be responsible in a time of a pandemic. Wash your hands. And respect people. But here's the thing, man. Everything is not the enemy. Not everything It's is. not. No. Don't blame everything on your enemy. Exactly. And we do that so easily. So often. Yes, we do. Anyway, guys, I am so sorry for such a delay 
in, in our in our podcast episodes. November has been the year, or it's, been <laughs> it's, like it's year, felt like a it? year, but it's the month that I just wish that didn't happen. Um, Brian, tell talk about some guests that we've got lined up. Uh, so the people that we have as of right now committed, um, don't know exactly when we're going to interview you, but we talked about that opening that uh, Sheila Texter. Yes. She's going to come on and talk about her book. Yep. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, this week is hopefully when we'll record. Uh, Tara Sanders. Uh, hey, I think I have it bad, bro. She lost both of her parents. Yeah, in the same week. At the exact same week due to the yep. virus. You know, she doesn't know this yet, or at least I don't think she does, but her mom sent us a Facebook message at one point. Yes, she did. Saying that she would be a great guest. Absolutely, she did. And so uh, we'll talk to her and... Um, you know, see what she's comfortable discussing on there. I have, we have another guest that we've got lined up. I have been looking forward to interviewing them so much. They're out of Little Rock and all of their Facebook posts, they uh, catch my attention because it says, are you tired of being broke? Are you tired of being overweight? Are you tired of feeling lonely? And they've got this book that they teach from at their church that gives you direction in all aspects of your life. I'm very much so looking forward to interviewing with them. Uh, we just got some great stuff on the horizon. Guys, thank you for being patient with us, most of all. Yeah, absolutely. And I do have two more. The, the Fazel Colbreth. Oh, came. my word. He has said he will come on. Yes. So he was a super cool dude at the barbecue com- – uh, not the barbecue competition, at the barbecue thing we did at our church. was He was teaching a seminar with some guys about how to teach Bible studies and soul winning – we're going to talk about that with his him. His pastor was on our podcast already. Yes, Gary Ellis. Gary Ellis yep. is his Gary pastor. Ellis was the pastor he won that he him. Yep. He won him. And was it Saudi Arabia? I think so. Yeah, won him to the Lord in Saudi Arabia. Breaks my heart that episode had bad audio, but we didn't know it until we were putting it together. Because we, we found out one of our mics didn't work. Yeah, but, uh, piece of junk. Yeah, it was bad. And then I have a, a professor at Urshan College that... Uh, that Tony said he'll let me do a solo episode. So, so he I can, can nerd out. I can nerd out. We're going to talk about some apologetics, some some Greek, because he's the Greek professor. At, at and everybody person. who listens to this knows that Brian's the nerd. This is true. And uh, I'm more of your statistics guy and how things work. And I like stories. And Brian is. I would be the statistics guy. Your color. I For guess, commentary, I guess so, statistics, yeah. your color. I guess so. I can see that. But I like. You like talking all these facts and history and such. I just, I like talking, man. Yeah. I've enjoyed this conversation. See, like, I'm sitting over here whenever you're talking about this voter fraud, and I'm over here cringing because there's really no data to support it right now. I'm sorry <laughs> to say that. I'm sorry to say that. There's no data to support it. They should have released the Kraken. Trump's lawyer said they were going to release a Kraken. All right, all right, all right. Release Calm it. down. Calm if down. If you don't release it, then we can't say yes. Then there it is. But, uh, but they're not even, and then here we are. It's too late now. You're wasting our times. Present the evidence. If you want to know the difference between me and Brian, that's one thing. Second thing is, we just got out of church about, what, two hours ago, three hours ago? Something like that. My shirt's untucked. My top button's got two buttons open. I got nothing, no tie, no suit coat, nothing. Brian still got his shirt tucked in. His tie's still nice and tight. I'm his suit coat nice. on. I'm trying to look nice. I mean, this is the difference in us, but that's why we work, I guess. But I, hey, nobody's going to listen to us. Nobody's going to listen to us. <laughs> hey, and it, you know, people aren't listening for us anyway. They're listening for the guests. Yeah. So I mean, just it really hope, doesn't matter. I hope that people do listen to this episode, though. And um, my dad was an awesome man. I wish that there was more I could do. but So and I know you mentioned it. Your dad always wanted you to move back to Illinois. Do you today regret it? No. He never wanted me to move back to Illinois. You got that wrong. He never wanted me to move from Illinois. I do not regret it, not one bit, because I had a stronger relationship with God. I had a better walk with God, and I also had a better relationship with my dad. Had I stayed, um, I feel like we would have had a worse relationship because we didn't see eye to eye on things. I feel like I would be angry towards him because I was being forced to do stuff I didn't want to do. And therefore, I would kind of just blame the church like a lot of people do. A lot of people blame the church over things when it's usually not the church's fault. But I would have. It's pretty irrational. Yeah, but that's it for this episode, man. It's a good episode, I think. I know it's been tough for you talking a lot about the the past, but I'm feels good. you were brave enough to. And I'm sure that it's good for you to at least... 
you know, be able to get it out, especially yeah. since for two weeks you really didn't have anybody to discuss. I mean, I know people were calling you up and just and driving like me nuts too. The picture of you at your dad's casket, it hurt me, man. I couldn't look at it. Yeah. It was tough, man. So I didn't know if anybody took that. That was, that was me saying goodbye to my dad for the last time. And once I let all that out, I felt so good, though. Yeah. Tough picture to see, but felt good. He was great. I, I'm the first time I ever remember seeing your dad, he was preaching at our church. You and thought I he had a mustache. I thought he, I couldn't tell if he had one or not. It's not that I had a problem with it. It's just that I couldn't tell. Yeah, my dad's facial hair is so thick and so dark, he shaved twice a day. Yeah. He always shaved twice a day because if not, at 2 o'clock, it looked like he hadn't shaved yet. <laughs> and my dad thought, you know, facial hair was just not a thing for him. Yeah. But I will say when he got married, he had mutton chops. I like that. Yeah, it looked like Elvis before he died. I like that a lot. Yeah, not me. <laughs> I like that a lot. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning into the Crucial Conversation.